This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. I'm getting more and more used to saying that. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. A dreary day here. Uh, It's raining at the moment, although it could be worse. I could be back in New England. I know you folks up there are dealing with uh, uh, some snow. Uh, Some friends up in uh, New Hampshire talking about they're supposed to get a foot of snow uh, I know in Connecticut, where I used to be, we're talking four to six. So uh, don't miss it. We've gotten, uh, well, what, where are we? we're February the 25th. We've gotten three inches of snow here uh, in Hayesville, North Carolina, up here in the mountains in, in western North Carolina. I've only gotten three inches of snow. Love it. Love it. Uh, well, of course, uh, lots to get to this morning. The baseball negotiations continue to move at a snail's pace. Very, very concerning. Um and, of course, everybody watching uh, the news and trying to figure out what's going on in the Ukraine and what's going on with Russia. And, look, this is going to be a mess. You know, the only question is, I saw a headline this morning, are we headed for another Cold War or are we headed for World War Three? <laughs> Neither one of them is a great prospect, but I guess if I got to pick, I mean, I would hope it's just going to be another Cold War. Uh, I mean, we've kind of been doing that already, but we don't need World War Three. You know, we do not need this to escalate beyond what is going on now. I mean, NATO is uh, kind of standing up. But if NATO troops start getting into this, in addition to the Ukrainians, it's going to get really ugly. And I I, I fear for what will happen with the world. Uh, uh, European countries, the United States, putting all kinds of sanctions on Russia. Uh, but the other thing to, to recognize about that, folks, is it's going to be a long process. Just putting these sanctions on is not going to make Vladimir Putin uh, beg for uh, forgiveness immediately. This could take months uh, before the sanctions really make any difference. So, you know, if anybody thinks that, uh, you know, the, the sanctions are going to make it happen quickly, you know, forget that. Uh not that I'm sure Vladimir Putin is too concerned about this, but uh, th- some of the consequences for what they have done in Ukraine is actually going to trickle down to the sports world. They were supposed to host the Champions League final. Of course, the Champions League, uh, one of the uh, premier uh, soccer events in the world. Uh, UEFA, who was in charge of that, had a uh, big uh, executive committee meeting Uh, to discuss what was going on, and they decided that because of what they have done, uh, that Russia will no longer host that final game. That was supposed to happen in May, May the 28th. And uh, matter of fact, it was going to be at a stadium that is sponsored by Gazprom, which is the Russian state-owned energy conglomerate. And so they are taking that away from Russia. It is going to be held in Paris instead. Uh, There was supposed to be a Formula One race coming up in Russia. That has been canceled. 
Uh, the International Ski Federation said that any ev- uh, of their events that were scheduled to be held in Russia have been canceled as well. Um, again, I don't think it's going to make a big difference to them. Uh, 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 it, International basketball, a couple of Spanish teams were supposed to fly to Russia for a couple of games, and they said they're not coming. Uh, the men's professional tennis tour announced that uh, an ATP Challenger tournament that was supposed to be played in Moscow next week, not going to happen either. Um, and then the International Olympic Committee came down and whacked Russia. And again, they don't care. But they, uh, they condemned them for violating... Um, what is called the Olympic truce and what the Olympic truce is, um, is the idea that during Olympic competitions, which goes, which goes through the Paralympic games, by the way, which, uh, will conclude or will open in Beijing on March 4th and, and go for two weeks. Um, that truce, is supposed to, I mean, it's, it's, it's very, it, I don't even know what the right word is, but look, it's, it's supposed to, you know, ensure safe passage for athletes during the games, and it's supposed to promote the idea of working towards world peace, yada, yada, yada. Well, the Russians don't care about world peace. The Russians care about one thing, you know, and that is their interests. And I shouldn't even say the Russians. It's Vladimir Putin. You know, they had uh, a couple of thousand people arrested throughout Russia yesterday for protesting what their government is doing. You know, which is why it's always a joke where they call him President Putin. They try to say, well, you know, he was elected. He wasn't elected. He's a it's a dictatorship. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, But anyway, so uh, the Olympic Committee has come down on them. Uh, It's the third time, by the way, in the last 14 years that Russia has violated uh, what is known as the Olympic truce. Uh, They did it uh, with the war in Georgia. Um, during the 2008 Summer Olympics. Um, and then they did it when they annexed the Crimea in Ukraine after the uh, 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics finished. And now here we are again with what they've done in Ukraine. Um, so, again, it's it's going to trickle down. It, it's not going to matter to them, um, but it is what it is. V- Vladimir Klitschko and his brother, by the way, former professional boxers, have said that they are going back to their home country and they are going to fight. They are going to take up arms to fight for their country against the Russians. Uh, the Ukrainian government has handed out like 18,000 rifles uh, to uh, to their citizens to help uh, uh, defend their country. I mean, it's, this is going to be a long mess. And, it's, and any, look, anybody who says uh, that they that they are supporting Russia here or, or, you know, is, I mean, I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, and you know, to have an an ex president of the United States. And I know I live in Trump country now, but to have an ex president of the United States say that uh, Vladimir Putin is a genius, you know, and what he did was smart. And I mean, to have, a, pres- a former president of the United States say that is absolutely reprehensible and tone deaf uh, and anything else you want to call it. Uh, I mean, and even people in his own party, Mitch McConnell is saying, look uh, to, to Joe Biden, hey, 
great great job on the uh, sanctions, but you haven't done enough. Do more. Whack this guy. You know, and yet you have uh, the supposed leader of his party saying, oh, yeah, <laughs> Putin's a genius. Oh, I mean, good Lord almighty. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, there's some sports implications at the end of the day. Uh, it's not going to move the needle for Vladimir Putin at all. Uh, and, and how about this? We'll get to sports in a second, I promise. I, I, I just shook my head. Sean Penn, the actor, is in Ukraine right now filming a documentary. And he said it is uh, to, uh, to tell the world the truth about Russia's invasion. Hey, Sean, every news outlet in the world is there. Everybody knows what the truth is. You know, uh, look, he's, uh, you know, he's way more popular and way more powerful. And, and, you know, I'm sure he thinks he's way more smarter than I am. But what are you doing? I mean, Jesus. I mean, this is just grandstanding in my mind. Uh, he had this in mind. He was there at the end of 2021, uh, I guess, uh, uh, doing some background work. And uh, he's doing it as part of his uh, uh, Vice Studios production. Um, you know, but look, uh, so what? You know, this is just the, hey, look at me. Aren't I cool? And I'm brave and I'm on top of things. And, you know, this is some of the stuff that bothers me about some of these celebrities that get involved with uh, – uh, world affairs. Look, I'm all for, you know, you want to do charity work. Some of the stuff that, uh, for instance, that uh, uh, Angelina Jolie has done, it was very admirable, uh, you know, and, and but sometimes it's just it's more about look at me than it is about actually trying to do something. Some of the stuff that Madonna has done uh, in, in Africa, I think, is great. I mean, I you know, I think there are times that that celebrities do things for the right reason. And, and I guess Sean Penn probably thinks he's doing this for the right reason. But, Sean, we don't need you to tell us the truth. We see the truth. Everybody knows what the truth is. I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous, but whatever. Uh, whatever. All right. Uh, enough of that. Let's get to uh, Major League Baseball. And uh, we meet for the fourth straight day this week yesterday. And guess what? Absolutely nothing happened. We are stuck once again uh, with the two sides uh, making uh, snail moves at best. You know, I mean, uh, and in yesterday, uh, they made it very clear, Major League Baseball did, that if this thing is not settled by Monday, there will be cancellations of regular season games. The players have said that's ridiculous. There's no reason to cancel games. We can make them up with double headers. Uh, uh, look, I... I have to believe, and, and perhaps I'm naive, but I have to believe that both sides here recognize that canceling games is not a good idea. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but even the owners have to recognize well, it's going to hit their bank balance, number one, but they have to recognize that, you know, I don't know if public relations is the right word or not, but it's not going to help the image of your league, a league that, you know, people are trying to make others believe that that baseball is dying, you know, and it's a dying sport here in the United States and that all the other, you know, sports have surpassed it, which isn't true, by the way. When you look at the amount of money being made by Major League Baseball, to try to tell me that baseball is dying is ludicrous. 
The owners made billions of dollars last year, folks, with a B, billions. So don't tell me that uh, baseball is dead. But at the same time, there's no question that that uh, television ratings are down. But television ratings are down for everything. You can't you can't judge the popularity of any sport by television ratings. To me, it's about butts in the seats. And with the exception of a couple of cities, you know, if you take Tampa out of the mix and you take, uh, you know, maybe Pittsburgh out of the mix, you know, Major League Baseball is pretty healthy. When you look at ballparks and they are mostly full and in some cases filled to capacity, you can't tell me that baseball isn't in good position financially. You know, there was a lot of talk about the the television ratings of the Olympics that just ended, you know, and that the ratings for the Olympics were the lowest they've ever been, you know, and it was down 45% from the last Olympics. Look, again, television ratings to me are no longer valid uh, quantifiers of, of anything. There are too many options now. There are, we have had too many people cut the cord. This isn't the days when we had, you know, th- four, four or three or four major networks. You know, between all the, you know, 200 channels on uh, DirecTV that I have, uh, or you know, almost 300, with that, then you add in all the people that have cut the cord and there's, you know, all the streaming options that you've got. You know, people that don't even have, you know, that are, uh, are Hulu people or Netflix people or Amazon Prime people that aren't watching Network television. Or if they are, they're watching stuff on a DVR that they're or, or uh, delayed on one of the streaming services. They're not watching live TV that much anymore. The world has changed. The way we consume our entertainment has changed. So you can't use that as any kind of a barometer as far as I'm concerned. For the Olympics... Uh, it, it doesn't mean the Olympics aren't popular, but again, people are have ch- changed the way they watch, and it doesn't help when nothing that you watch on television on NBC is live, and it's not NBC's fault. The damn things are in China, thirteen hours away. What are you supposed to do? You can't have them live. You know they they want to have it all in prime time. Well, the problem is when prime time comes, it's eight o'clock in the morning over there, nine o'clock in the morning, and very seldom were they able to have anything on that was live. But baseball is healthy. There was plenty of money to be had. But we meet for the fourth straight day yesterday, and the players' association makes some movement a little bit on a couple of things. the The, the owners don't move at all, and here we are. We're going to meet for a fifth straight day today. But at what point is somebody actually going to do something that matters? These two sides are so far apart on most of the core issues that it's not even funny. The only stuff they've been able to agree on have been the minor things that, in the grand scheme of things, don't matter that much. You know, but on the, the big issues like the luxury tax threshold... We are so far apart, it's not funny. And the owners refuse to move. Minimum salary, we are so far apart. The MLB wants to set it at 640. The players want it at 775. 
It's a big difference. And then they want an annual $30,000 raise. Well, MLB is saying, we'll give you six forty, dollars and then we're going to raise it $10,000. You know, and here's the thing. That $30,000 a year raise versus ten, that's a drop in the bucket to these owners. This is just, this is, this is people trying to, in some cases, maybe trying to break the union. You're not going to, but that's what they're going to try to do. You know, we may see at some point the government get involved here and say, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to try to mediate this thing, whether the two sides want it or not. I mean, there, there may come a point where they're forced to go to the table. We've seen that in other labor negotiations in the United States. So it behooves these people to, to stop the crap and, and, and get, you know, l- let's get in there and get some real work done. Um, so yesterday, Ken Rosenthal, it was actually last night, and Ken Rosenthal, who, by the way, one of the reasons he was fired by uh, Major League Baseball Network was because he dares to speak the truth and he dares to be objective and not toe the company line and be a uh, uh, a mouthpiece for Major League Baseball. You know, uh, thank God. But one of the reasons that he got fired was because of that. Um, well, last night he wrote an article uh, in The Athletic. And I'm a subscriber to The Athletic, a big fan. Um, I think it's uh, it's objective, you know. And so uh, he uh, he wrote this big article last night talking about what these two teams should do. If you want to really get something done, this is what I propose. And it makes sense. And in some cases, you're going to say, well, all he did was split the difference between what uh, uh, what the owners want and what the players want. And that's true. But at the same time, he gives some pretty good rationale for some of these changes to take place. For instance, you know, when it comes to the idea of the minimum salary. Last year, as I had said, the minimum salary in Major League Baseball was $570,000. So Ken and and uh, and the players, but the players want a huge jump. This year they want it to go to seven hundred and seventy-five. So they essentially are looking for a two hundred thousand dollar raise, and the owners have offered a seventy thousand dollar raise. So Ken Rosenthal basically says, "All right, like let's, let's do this. If, let's let's kind of split the difference. Let's call it seven hundred k." You know, and then we figure out, and then it escalates over the five-year term of the collective bargaining agreement, whatever that's going to be. And maybe, you know, since the players want a $30,000 raise and the owners want to give them a $10,000 raise, maybe it becomes a $20,000 raise. But it starts, so it jumps from five seventy dollars to $700,000. That's not insignificant. But it's also not as high as the players wanted. But if the players can get a $130,000 raise for the lowest guys on the totem pole, they've done their job. That's what you need to do. As a union, you need to take care of everybody. And if you're taking care of your youngest people um, with a $130,000 raise, (coughs) to me, that's not chump change. So that's number one. Um, 
And then they, they want this, uh, this pre-arbitration bonus pool, you know, the, uh, for the top players, uh, that, uh, aren't arbitration eligible yet. And, uh, the players wanted $115 million to be split up between the top, I don't know, 30, 40 guys. The uh, MLB owners offered like 20. So Ken Rosenthal said, well, how about we do this? We make it, you know, 40 to $50 million. That gives, it's more in line with what the owners wanted but it's also a significant raise over nothing that the uh, that right now uh, the young players don't have. So reasonable, you know, and that's one where the players may have to give a little bit, and I don't see a I don't see a problem with that. So that's reasonable. Uh, and then they were, they're talking about service time players that be arbitration eligible. They want to tweak that a little bit. Um, and so Ken Rosenthal said, well, let's do this, you know, let's tweak it and say, you know, uh, the number of the, the, an increase of percentage players eligible for arbitration would be like, uh, you know, maybe 20, 20%, 22%, less than the owners want. I mean, more than the owners wanted, less than the players wanted, but it's still movement on both sides. So, you know, look, but both, all three of those suggestions, both sides have to make some movement. And the problem that we have right now is the owners are not moving. Now, the players are moving, but the moves have been very, very tiny. But the owners haven't shown any willingness to move whatsoever. Now the big, now the big ticket item, the luxury tax threshold or the competitive balance uh, number, if that's what you want to call it. The owners want it at $214 million. $214 million. Now, last year, it was uh, two hundred and ten. So the owners are saying, look, we'll come up four grand. So teams can spend an extra $4 million than they could spend the previous year. The players want it at an obscene $245 million. To me, you know, you're asking teams to all of a sudden spend $35 million more or have the ability to do that. And then, of course, if they don't spend that, they're going to get skewered. That, to me, is unreasonable on the players' part. If you're going to get a $130,000 raise uh, for your youngest players, You've got to make some moves. You've got to be able to willing to make some moves on the other end. They want 245. Owners want 214. Well, Ken says, let's split the difference. Let's make it, you know, somewhere between 225, 230, uh, and then increase to 245 over the five-year term. Seems reasonable. But the players will not move off that $245 million figure. I think if the if the players threw out that two hundred and twenty five million dollar figure, I think the owners would have to seriously consider it. Again, a reasonable proposal. Um, Ken, and then the other one of the other big sticking points is the increase in uh, playoff teams. Players have said they'd be okay with twelve. The owners want fourteen. I hate the idea, by the way, of increasing playoff teams because now you become just like the NBA and the NHL, where half the league gets into the playoffs, which I think is asinine. 
but be that as it may, um, Ken says, let's go to 14. Let's jump from the 10 to the 14. The union's just going to have to suck it up. Um, you know, I guess, you know, I look, if, if the players can get the monetary increase, you know, for their, for the minimum salary, for the, uh, you know, the, the luxury tax threshold, you're going to have to give on some of these other things because if you increase the playoffs, it, it creates more revenue for the owners. It's going to make it more palatable for them to go out and spend that money, that extra money on the minimum salaries and on the, uh, the luxury tax threshold, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's just one that the, I think the, the union is going to have to suck it up. There's not much they can, de- they can do. The fact that they've already said they're willing to go to 12, well, if you're willing to go to 12, then you might as well be willing to go to 14. So I think that's going to happen. I think Ken's right. Uh, so, again, reasonable. Uh, there's been talk about a draft lottery uh, to try to stop teams from tanking uh, so that, you know, if you're the worst team, you don't necessarily get the number one draft pick. Um, the owners had said, well, okay, we'll do that, but it's only going to be the top four. The union wants eight. Uh, well, guess what Ken said? Hey, let's do six. Well, <laughs> right, right down the middle. Uh, but the, the, the point that Ken makes here is, is right. The, the lottery for draft picks is not going to stop teams from tanking. It's just not. Um, now to make it more of a deterrent, yeah, okay. You know, the more, the more in the lottery, the better. So maybe six is best, but at the end of the day, you know, the owners are against it because they think that, uh, uh, it will make it worse for the, uh, the worst clubs in the league if they don't get the top draft picks. And as Ken said, good, because no team, and I don't care who they are, should want to tank. You know, the problem is, is the Houston Astros got away with it, right? They got away with it for a few years, and they were one of the worst teams in baseball, and they turned it around, look what they did. So now everybody's using that as the model. The problem is the Pittsburgh Pirates have been trying to do that for the last several years, and not a damn thing has happened. They still stink. The Baltimore Orioles have been tanking for the last few years. They still stink. The Detroit Tigers, they made some moves last year, but they still stink. There are still some teams in this league, folks, that are absolutely freaking awful. You know, the Texas Rangers are just brutal. You know, and so uh, at the end of the day, I don't know how much it's going to stop teams from tanking, but, you know, uh, the the more players in that, that, uh, uh, or the more teams that would have to be in that lottery, the better to, to discourage tanking. So I'm okay with that. I mean, so you look at all these things that, that Ken's put out there is, and, and, and he said, look, he said, all I'm trying to demonstrate here is that a deal should be within reach right now, you know, and that both teams should be very uncomfortable with the idea of part of your season being canceled. You know, I mean, I can't imagine you know, for instance, in uh, can you imagine in London, or not London, but in in Great Britain, if uh, you know they had a a big strike like this and there was no Premier League soccer? Oh my God, it would be like a national catastrophe. You know, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of people don't take what's going on here seriously because everybody says, "Well, it's not the NFL." If this was the NFL, people would be more concerned. This is not just about baseball at the end of the day. 
This is about any sport. This is about owners versus players. This is about XYZ Corporation versus its employees. You know, and I, and, and I get angry listening to people or reading comments of people saying, well, the players are just greedy. I want to ask you a question. You know, and we've said that, you know, the idea of owning any business is to, to maximize profits. Let me ask you this. How many of you have worked for a company and said, I don't get paid enough. I don't get paid enough for this. I'm not valued. You know, the owners that, you know, the, 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 the owners of the company are just putting all the money in their, their uh, pockets and they don't care about us workers. And you know, this sucks, but you don't have a union out there fighting for you. So you're screwed. How many of you that work for any corporation or any retail outlet or anything, and you're not unionized, how many of you have wished you had somebody that could fight for you to get you the money that you feel you deserve? And that's what I think people forget. They want to say, oh, these – and put the money aside, the, the, the obscene amount of money that these players make. I get that, all right? I get it. But it's all about perspective, and it's all about, you know – what you make at your daily job, whether it's, you know, $20 an hour or, you know, $15 an hour, whatever it is, you can't compare, you know, it's not apples to apples with, with professional sports or with actors or with musicians or anything, but it's apples to apples. If it's, I work for Lowe's and you work for Home Depot, it's apples to apples. If I work for Major League Baseball or I work for the NFL, that you can, you know, so you can't compare what you make to what they make. All right. It's what the market will bear based on what your profession is. But I guarantee you, all you people that want to say these owners or I mean, these players are just greedy, have all bitched about your job and about how you should get a raise and about how you're not appreciated. I guarantee you have. So if you've done that, how can you look at these players and say, the players are just greedy. You've lost perspective. You know, and I'm not saying that, that you know, in some cases here, the players aren't being a little unrealistic about some of the things they want. Of course they are. We all are. We are all, we're all going to ask for the moon and then take what we can get after that. But you got to start somewhere. But this is not just about greedy players. This is also about greedy owners that want to maximize profits. And at some point, just like in any business, there has to be a meeting of the minds somewhere. Look at Walmart. Walmart was, was screwed their employees for years. They were the worst. Matter of fact, my wife and I refuse to shop at Walmart to this day because of the way they treated their employees for years. Things have gotten much better. They're not great, but they've gotten much, much better to the point where you know they have college tuition programs, and you know they've raised their salaries significantly from the way they used to be. You know, at some point you get you know you you get enough bad publicity, and and the word gets out about what an awful boss you are, and about how you're screwing your employees. Word gets out, and eventually you've got to do something. So you know, it but. You have to have perspective here. If you you know just you you're sitting on your couch at home, you can't say it's the players. You just can't. It's both of them, but by and large, more often than not, it is ownership of a professional sports team, 
of a retail outlet, of uh, a mom-and-pop store, whatever it is, it's all about maximizing profits. Otherwise, why the hell are you in business to begin with? You're not in business to be a charitable organization, you know, most people. You know, so uh, it's about maximizing profits. But you also have to, at the same time, take care of your employees, and that's what this is all about. 38 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 40 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning. Uh, I apologize for a little bit of my long rant there. We went uh, over time, but uh, good news is I'm the boss. Uh, Boston Celtics. I, I didn't turn this game on until halftime last night. And Jesus, by the time I turned it on, uh, this game was over. The Boston Celtics absolutely dismantled the uh, Brooklyn Nets last night. Uh, the final was 129-106. to 106. It really wasn't that close. The Celtics led 67-52 at the half uh, and then uh, extended that in the third quarter. Uh, just a dominating performance. Shot 55% from the field in this game last night. Uh, Jason Tatum, 30 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists. Uh, Jalen Brown chipped in with 18 points and 6 assists. Uh, the Celtics had uh, 7 players in double figures last night. Four of the five starters, actually all five starters were in double figures. Even Al Horford. Al Horford with a double-double last night, 11 points, 13 rebounds. Also had a couple of assists, a couple of blocks, a couple of steals. Uh, Celtics were just dominant last night. Only turned the ball over 13 times. Uh, and the Nets are a mess. Look, they didn't have Kevin Durant last night, so let's, you know, uh, no Ben Simmons. He still wasn't dressed. Uh, Kyrie Irving still can't play because he's not vaccinated. Uh, I, got, I think that's getting closer and closer to, be, to no longer being an issue because of the, uh, uh, the CDC relaxing a lot of the guidelines now. Uh, we may be seeing closer to New York being allow, allowing him to play. Uh, so it was an undermanned team. Seth Curry had 22 points to lead the way, uh, and uh, Bruce Brown had 15. But other than that, uh, it was a mess for the uh, Brooklyn Nets last night. That just traded um, – James Harden, of course. They got Ben Simmons back, but Simmons hasn't suited up yet. Uh, but a big win for the Celtics. Look, they've won 10 of the last 11. They won 9 of 10 uh, before the All-Star break. Uh, they win again here. Uh, and now they sit in sixth place in the Eastern Conference. You know, But the thing to look at here, they are really only a game and a half out of third behind Philadelphia and Milwaukee. So they are... Uh, they are poised to to make a run here, and their next game is against a very bad Detroit Pistons team that's fourteen and forty five. So that should be another one in the books for them. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are just in front of them, but uh, the the Celtics find themselves in very very good position right now, and right now one of the hottest teams in the NBA. Uh, the Boston Bruins last night. I stayed up to watch this. I watched the first period and a half. Now I. I just, I, you know, look, it was late. The game didn't start till 10 o'clock. They were out in Seattle playing the Seattle Kraken last night. The Bruins end up winning the game 3-2 to two in overtime. Jacob DeBrusque uh, with a goal about, uh, what, uh, 22 se- or 33 seconds into the overtime period. It was his second goal of the game, and the Bruins escape with a win 3-2. to two. I thought the Bruins, after the first period, I thought the Bruins were in big, big trouble. Uh, now, DeBrus did get a, his first goal in the first period with uh, about two and a half minutes to go. It was a lucky one, a, a puck that bounced up in the air and uh, actually uh, went over the shoulder 
uh, of the Seattle Kraken uh, goaltender. But um, the Bruins spent most of the first period on the power play. And matter of fact, at one point, they had a five-on-three. Seattle took four penalties in the first period, and the Bruins could not capitalize on any of them, including a five-on-three for about 40 seconds. And not only could they not capitalize on them, they gave up a shorthanded goal to Mark Giordano, uh, his second shorthanded goal in the last three games, 12th of his career. And Seattle actually led this game 1-0, 329 in, despite the fact that they, uh, 20 seconds into the game, they were a man down and remained that way for like the next four minutes. And the Bruins couldn't do anything. And now they, and the Bruins find themselves trailing one nothing. I was like, Oh my God. You know, I just, I said, Oh, you know, so then I stayed up. I saw David Pasternak score, uh, about seven minutes into the second period. Pasternak continues to stay hot. Uh, recently broke a, uh, uh, a long goal streak. Uh, he scores last night and he puts him up two to one. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to bed. And now, you know, I missed the Jason Everly goal that tied it up. And then they, uh, a scoreless third period, and DeBrusque wins it in the fourth. I woke up saw the highlights this morning. But, look, the Bruins are lucky. I mean, that's a Seattle Kraken team that's lost six in a row. They are not very good, and that is a game they practically gave away. I mean, look, for, now as far as the Bruins go, look, you know, they're they're in a wild card position in the Eastern Conference, 64 points. They're, they're going to make the playoffs. They are well ahead. Um of the other teams that are catching, trying to catch them. Uh, they've got an 11-point lead, or a 9-point lead, I'm sorry, over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, but they've got some room to move here. You know, 64 points. They sit in fourth place uh, in the Atlantic Conference. Toronto is only six points ahead of them. Tampa Bay uh, is eight points ahead of them. And the Bruins have this road trip coming up. If they can, and they've been really good on the road. This is a six-game road swing. They have the San Jose Sharks coming up. Uh, on Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday. That's a San Jose team uh, that uh, is not in playoff position and uh, sits just a game over 500. That's a game that the Bruins have to win. You know, and and you look at this trip, most of the teams on this trip are all teams that are out of the playoffs currently. So if the Bruins can continue to be the road warriors that they've been all season, they put themselves in position uh, to maybe climb up a spot or two uh, in the playoff standings. So that's where they're at. You know, and look, Brad Marchand was back last night for the for the Bruins, which is huge after that six-game suspension. And look, uh, we talked about this the other day. Brad Marchand's got to keep his head. He's one of those guys that people absolutely hate. You know, you could make a case that he is a borderline dirty player. I don't, uh, you know, and I guess that that would be accurate. You know, he's been suspended six times in his career, second time this season. If he gets suspended again, it's going to be for the rest of the season, and that is something that this Bruins team cannot have. And Bruce Cassidy, their head coach, came out and said it yesterday. He said, look, you know, he's paid the price, but he needs to keep his nose clean. You know, he's got to play on that edge. You know, that's he's one of those players that, you know, he likes to antagonize other, other teams and – you know, he, he chirps a lot, and, uh, you know, he's a hard-nosed player, but he he dances a very fine line. And he said, look, he's got to not cross that line. He said, we're getting in. It's almost March. He said the next one could be even more punitive. And he said, so I think he understands that. And Marshawn, after the game, talked about it. He said, look, 
you know, he, I, I know my threshold's very low. He said, so I've got to stay away from anything, which I can do. I've been able to do it a number of times, you know, over the years. He said, but I've just, it's, it's a matter of wrapping my mind around that and accepting it. He said, whether I agree with it or not. Well, yes, we all have to play within the rules, Brad, no matter what it is, right? So, and, and, and but he's right. And, and look, the Bruins are not the same team without Brad Marchand on the ice. You know, some other guys have stepped up. Taylor Hall's done a nice job with Marchand out, kind of picking up the slack a little bit. But they are not the same team without him on the ice. He has got to keep his nose clean. I think everybody has made that clear to him. Hopefully he understands that. Uh, one other quick hockey note. Uh, Zidane Chara broke the NHL record for games by a defenseman uh, last night uh, against the San Jose Sharks. Uh, matter of fact, that was a game that the uh, Islanders ended up losing in a shootout 4-3. But uh, Chara played his 1,652nd regular season game, breaks the mark set by Chris Chelios, uh, former New York Islander, former you know Hall of Famer. And uh, after, uh, when, uh, after the game, when they talked about it, he said, hey, uh, I have to thank Chris Chelios. He set a high standard, you know, and he said he's been very inspiring and a huge motivation. Uh, he said, and, and Char said, look, I'm lucky I still get to play this game. The guy's in his 40s. He's, I think he's 42 years old now. Six foot nine, tallest player in NHL history. Uh, former Boston Bruin, former Boston Bruin captain. Uh, matter of fact, he captained the, uh, the Bruins team that won the Stanley Cup uh, back in 2009. So, and uh, left a couple of years ago. You know, the, the Bruins just didn't have room for the salary, and they wanted to go with uh, some younger players. So uh, he moved on, played for uh, Ottawa, played for the Washington Capitals, and now he is with the Islanders. And uh, so congratulations to Zidane Chara, a classy guy. Um, UConn women's basketball news. Look, uh, we all know it's been a tough year for them, the injuries, the COVID, everything else. Uh, but they get the uh, reigning player of the year back tonight. Paige Beckers has been cleared to play. She has been out since early December with a left knee injury. She had surgery, uh, suited up for their last game, uh, did not play on Wednesday, but she was in uniform on the bench, did warm-ups, and uh, she has been cleared to play uh, tonight when the seven-seeded Huskies take on St. John's uh, at the XL Center. Uh, I'm sure she probably won't play a lot. St. John's isn't very good. 11 and 16 overall, 7 and 10 in the conference. It's a game UConn's going to win easily, but they, you know, I would imagine they'll try to get Beckers out there for something between 10 and 15 minutes, uh, and then they'll play again on Sunday against Providence. You know, again, I would expect more of the same, 10, 12, 15 minutes, something like that, just to try to get her back into shape, make sure that knee is sound, because then the Big East tournament starts on March 4th. And look, UConn is the seventh is seventh ranked in the country right now. They're projected to be a three seed in the upcoming NCAA tournament. I know this: with Paige Becker's back, this is a completely different team. So they may be a three seed, but they're going to play like a one seed. And I'm telling you, folks, it would not shock me if UConn wins another national championship or at least gets to the championship game with Paige Becker's. Uh, look, you know, <laughs> you know, defending player of the year, right? won it as a freshman, and before her injury, she was averaging 21 points, five and a half rebounds, and over six assists a game in six games. So she hadn't lost anything. As a matter of fact, she was playing perhaps even better than she did last year, and uh, I expect uh, they are going to make some noise in the NCAA tournament. Uh, some NFL news. Uh, Troy Aikman 
is reportedly going to be leaving the Fox booth and joining ESPN on Monday Night Football. Now, of course, Monday Night Football already has uh, Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick doing that. Uh, Steve Levy, currently the play-by-play guy. But the speculation now begins whether or not Al Michaels might go to ESPN and team up with Troy Aikman for Monday Night Football. It's been thought that uh, perhaps Michaels is going to be going to Amazon to anchor their Thursday Night Football package. Uh, But don't forget, Al Michaels was in line to join Monday Night Football on ESPN back in 2006 when uh, the Monday Night Package moved from ABC to ESPN. But he wanted to stay with John Madden. And so they, they quote-unquote, traded him to NBC so that he could stay with John Madden uh, and do uh, Sunday Night Football. So maybe now ESPN will finally get Al Michaels, and now they'll have Al Michaels and Troy Aikman in the booth. And uh, you know, and and look, I like Steve Levy. I think he's done a nice job. Uh, I didn't think Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick were that great, but you know, they're, they're kind of boring to be honest with you. Um, but I like Steve Levy. But it's you know, they may keep those guys intact as a second uh, Monday Night Crew because there are some situations where there's uh, multiple games going on. Um, and Troy Aikman ain't going to be cheap. They uh, the reports are it's going to be a five year deal that would be similar to the deal that Tony Romo got at CBS. Tony Romo is making seventeen and a half million dollars a year to work for CBS, and talk is is that Troy Aikman's figure with ESPN would be along those lines. That's that's a lot of money, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so we'll see, but. Uh, uh, look, it's been a um, a revolving door for Monday Night Football for the last five or six years since Mike Tirico left to go uh, uh, to go to NBC. Uh, he was the Monday Night play-by-play guy for ten years and uh, did it with John Gruden for the last seven. And then, of course, Gruden leaves for the NFL. Tirico leaves for NBC, and it's been uh, it's been a bit of a mess ever since. So uh, maybe some stability. Al Michaels, who's one of the best. Al Michaels and Troy Aikman, I would not mind that at all. Uh, One last note before we get out of here. Sally Kellerman died yesterday at the age of 84. Uh, Sally Kellerman was the original Hot Lips Houlihan on MASH in the the movie done by Robert Altman, not the TV show. Of course, Loretta Swit played uh, Hot Lips uh, on the TV show with Alan Alda. But it was uh, Sally Kellerman who was actually nominated for an Academy Award for her portrayal of uh, Hot Lips Houlihan. Uh, in the uh, the uh, movie made by Robert Altman. And uh longtime actress. She also had a bit of a singing career. Uh, she was in Star Trek. She was in the third episode of Star Trek. Uh, she played uh, Dr. Uh, Elizabeth Denner, uh, a Starfleet officer on the Enterprise and uh, uh, who sacrificed her life at the end of it and, uh, you know, in this dramatic thing. But uh, she uh, was on a lot of other TV shows like Outer Limits, uh, uh, Ben Casey, Mannix, uh, she she was on uh, a, in, in a bunch of different movies. She uh, was on a soap opera, The Young and the Restless, for a little while. Um, and uh, but uh, she uh, contracted dementia. She uh, died in a nursing uh, home uh, at the age of 84 yesterday. So uh, 
rest in peace, Hot Lips Hulhan. And one other personal note, uh, one of the guys that helped shape my, uh, uh, probably shaped the way I think about a lot of things in the world and, sh- and helped shape me as a young man, uh, Don Burness, who was a, a professor of mine, uh, an English professor at Franklin Pierce College, now Franklin Pierce University in Ringe, New Hampshire. Um, uh, I had him uh, for freshman English. And uh, this was a guy that I just absolutely, uh, for whatever reason, gravitated to. Uh, I took him four more times. He was a renowned, uh, internationally renowned uh, expert on African literature. <coughs> I took an African literature class with him and uh, uh, introduced me to people like Chinua Achebe and, and, and other people like that uh, who wrote uh, Things Fall Apart. and uh, Just... Uh, but open my eyes to a lot of different things and, and to a different way of thinking about the world and about life. And uh, very quirky guy, no question about it. Uh, difficult at times, but he's one of those guys that uh, I remember having him for freshman, freshman English, and he said, um, you know, I have given very few A's in my career. You know, he said uh, he was probably, I don't know, he'd probably been a professor now for 10, 12 years by the time I had him. He said, uh, you know, I've given a handful of A's in my career. Well, I am proud to say that it, uh, in the five years I took Don Burness in college, I managed to get two A's out of the guy. Uh, but uh, And he was a big sports fan, was around the basketball team, and was the tennis coach at Franklin Pierce for a long time. Uh, but Don Burness passed away uh, uh, a couple of days ago, so I just wanted to uh, to recognize that and to, uh, to say to, uh, to Coach Burness, uh, rest in peace, my friend. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Uh, in the wake of what's going on in uh, uh, in the Ukraine right now, I, I a song came to my mind yesterday. Um, a lot of you may not have heard of Krista Berg. If you're overseas, you have. But uh, the only thing you probably heard of him here in the United States is uh, uh, The Lady in Red, which I can't stand. But I'm a big uh, Krista Berg fan. He's got a song called One World. And uh, I think it's a very appropriate song to play today. So here's a little Krista Berg in One World. Uh, We'll see you Monday. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.